Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, I'm Cathy Sheridan. Coming up on today's podcast, we'll be finding out the ways to make new friends in 2020. Roisin Ingle will be joined by three women to discuss friendship apps, best friends, and making and losing pals along the way. But first, Roisin is here for a chat about some stories of the week, and it's been kind of Busy week, hasn't it, Roshi? We have a lot to report, Cathy. We we'll do. rattle through it. What will we start with? The, the first thing we'll start with is um, a story about abortion, actually, which we've featured a lot on the podcast. But this is a really interesting study um, because it's hard to get definitive figures on this. But in the University of California, uh, they did a study about abortion regret, which is something that came up a lot during the campaign here and also is relevant now because there's still that three-day cooling off period in case women might um, regret it. But actually... The upshot of this study, uh, and it was quite extensive with 667 women who had abortions across 21 US states. Uh, and then they went back to them in five years and asked them had they regretted it. And they basically found that 99% of the women did not regret their abortions. And I suppose as someone who's had one myself and never experienced a moment of regret, and, and, and most people I've spoken to would feel the same, uh, that sort of shores up that feeling that women know their minds when they go to make that decision. Um, and that three-day cooling-off period kind of infantilizes them a little bit by suggesting that they, they'll regret it later on. When, in fact, if you get to a point where you know very well in your mind you don't want a baby, that's pretty clear um, and, and clear-cut. And just so we're clear, this is actually a very respectable study mm. and we, we, we found it in The New Scientist. Uh, so it's not just something conjured up by people who may have an agenda. Exactly. And I think it's really relevant as as we see in America with all the restrictions that are going on. I think hopefully it can be used to show that this is something that women are very clear on and know. Um, the other thing we must talk about, Cathy, is Megxit. Oh, Megxit. I know. <laughs> I have actually swung between my views on this one. Have you? Yeah, well, not really, no. I just think she's entitled to do what she wants and I and I feel very much for, I mean, as much as you can feel for someone you absolutely don't know, Prince Harry, who lost his mother, and I can just see how all of that press attention, because he's been accused of being quite narky and, you know, they both have. But I can sort of see if you had that experience as a young person that you would be quite tender and sore 
and sensitive about media intrusion, which they have had an extraordinary amount of. And it has been different to the stuff that Kate Middleton has ever got. And it's that question of race. But I have to say, I listening to people of colour talking about this, I can see that it has been a very different conversation in the tabloids. Scandalous from that point of view, right down to their taste in avocados. Exactly. There is the most, I mean, it's not hard to find examples. People keep saying, oh, you show us the articles where, that, were, that were openly racist. It actually isn't as open as that. It's the contrast between Kate and Megan. It's very easy to find if you want to look it up, but a lot of the stuff will actually make your hair curl. And, and again, going back to what people of colour are saying, that subtlety is exactly what they encounter and experience all the time. And I think for a lot of white commentators, I saw Philip Schofield and uh, Holly Willoughby on one of the morning programmes, you know, trying to sort of say that line of, oh, I haven't really seen anything. And it's like, well, you know, then you're not, your eyes aren't open in the same way as people who are experiencing this day in, day out are. So I sort of feel for them. And I also, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the royal family as an institution. So I think anything that kind of chips away, to be honest, after the kind of, you know, th- that they should go and do what they need to do. And they've a little boy to think about as well. So they do. I suppose I just wasn't mad about the way they did it by just dumping it on Instagram. Now, I know... There's a huge story there that we don't know anything about mm. and we all think we know them and we absolutely don't. But I, I, I wish another way had been found. It looked a bit impulsive, but maybe it wasn't. But you know, maybe wasn't they, it maybe to do with to the fact this for the story years. was going to be revealed by one of the yes. tabloids that they were looking at this whole thing and, and they wanted to steal a march take control on of them it. and they wanted to steal. Yeah. Take control of the narrative as we like to hear a lot these days. Yeah, I thought Maureen Dowd's take on it was quite interesting where, you know, she's quite sympathetic and all the rest, but she reckoned, she she thought that perhaps Meghan could have just weathered the storm, channeled the Obamas, who she says did a magnificent job at rising above the racist taunts and working within the institution to imprint a new image of racial uh, possibility. Instead, I think what's happening is this this unreal, goopish type thing of... of, of, of um, um, looking for trademarks for stuff like socks and hoodies under the Sussex Royal logo. Are we going to talk about the vagina candle now? Is that what you want to do? You well, just mentioned no, I just goop. said goop-ish. Yeah. I didn't say vagina candle. Well, we should mention the, the vagina candle, which, fair play to Gwyneth Paltrow, has sold out apparently all over the world. I still don't know what it is and I actually it's don't want to know. It smells like Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina and that's oh, all no. you need to know. But, but she puts a lot of stuff in her vagina so it smells different Why are we to your even vagina talking about this? Or my vagina. I last saw about a <laughs> egg or something. I don't know. Did I imagine that? <laughs> no, you didn't. That You're right. Okay. Um, just a final word to the New York Times uh, who are very exercised about Megxit as well. So it's everyone. It has everyone exercised. And they're comparing it to Brexit actually and saying it kind of divides people along similar lines. And they said um, it breaks along political and generational fault lines. Young people and liberals, many of whom voted to stay in the European Union, tend to be more sympathetic to the prince and his American wife. Older, more conservative people, a majority of whom voted to leave, tend to be more critical of the couple and defensive of the Queen. So you have another Brexit style um, Debate going on there, they think. but actually, isn't it wonderfully entertaining? I, I think I think people say, "Oh, why are you so interested? Why is there so much about this?" I think one of the reasons is that it doesn't damage any of us to think about it. I mean, one of the little, 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 little lovely things that I read was that Wallace Simpson. Oh, yes, who, who yeah, was, I love that story as well. It's yeah. a marvelous story where she spent a lot of her time in the Bahamas. Remind ma- people, though, her, Kathy, just before she was she she was an American divorcee, the first of them, who married uh, Edward. Edward. Uh, 
who, abd- who became king and then abdicated for the, the love of the, the, the woman, of, for the love of Wallace. Um, and they ended up, I think, now I'm not an expert on this, except that I read this lovely little detail, because what do you do afterwards? You've been the king. <laughs> what, what's next? Apparently she spent a bit of her time in the Bahamas trying to match the wall paint to her face powder colour. Right. And I just adored that story. Don't ask me why. I think it just distracts me from other awful bleak stuff <laughs> well, that's I going on in the world. We need all the distraction. And another lovely distraction uh, moving on from Megxit was Saoirse Ronan, who is just incredible, who's got her fourth Oscar nomination. I mean, she's only 25. She's and a superstar. A superstar. And the different roles she's done and the sheer talent that she has and still retaining this beautiful public persona of this very natural down to earth. I mean, I was watching her on one of the American chat shows and she asked for a cup of tea and the, in the middle of the thing and the tea came out and I had no milk in it and she didn't hide her disgust that someone could serve a tea cup of tea with no, with no milk. milk. And then all the comments from all the Americans underneath <laughs> were all about how amazing and what a breath of fresh air this young woman was. So I think she's an incredible ambassador. But not only that, like just to to get that. I mean, I don't think it's probably never been done by an Irish person, I would imagine, for Oscar nominations by the age of 25. I don't think it has. But the odd thing is that she's we don't seem to regard her as a superstar. Now, do we not, though? Because I, well, I think I any time we write about her in the Irish Times, it is a huge uh, traffic driver. So, And we do put we do uh, stories about her all the time. Now, I was having this talk with someone who else was saying the same thing. If she was a young man, that she would have had more. She would have more of that acclaim. Do I you think, think she, so? I think she would. Okay. I think there's definitely a little something missing there. Can we just finally mention Aer Lingus? Ah, Yes. Aer Lingus have got a new uniform, so keep an eye out for it when you're on um, uh, our national airline. Because what is distinctive about it? They're allowed to wear trousers. Ooh. Imagine for the first time. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just crazy. We've got to 2020 and all those women, all those air stewards all over those decades had to wear skirts. The most impractical thing. And I'm sure loads of them will still wear skirts, but the point is they now have choice. And the other great little thing, detail in that story that Deirdre McQuillan did, because she went down to see the unveiling of the uniform this week, um, is that they now have these ballerina flats that they can wear on board. So I saw the heels under the trousers and I was immediately getting my heckles up going, oh, I can't believe they still have to wear heels. But then I read that they have these ballerina flats for on board as well. But the one thing I have heard, and I'm trying to get it checked out, is that female pilots, Cathy, I don't think are allowed to wear the caps that the male pilots wear. Now, don't don't quote me on it because I'm in the middle of finding out that. But that if that's the case, outrageous. it's very annoying. It would be um, outrageous. But it really made me think about the situation in Irish schools where young, young women and girls are forced to wear skirts. And I, st- I can't believe, again, in 2020, that we're still doing that to uh, women and girls. Well, and I, I hope saw that's your implication to Louise Kennedy to kind of get to work on Well, on, I would like if schools. she got involved and she could be a Wouldn't good voice in there and say, hey, look, I'll show you how. Because I think a lot of the times... For some weird reason, schools think that it's going that women in trousers, or girls in trousers, are not going to look nice. Why that should be any consideration anyway is yes. another issue. Imagine but they if always Louise Kennedy. Do. Imagine if your idea worked and Louise Kennedy began. Well, to my daughters go to school and they um, wear trousers to school. They're part of their school uniform. So and they're allowed. And they they are allowed. And I know another girl, a Georgia, if she's listening, she campaigned in her school in um, in Dublin, and she had to go through a load of hoops. She had to get a petition going on and. Just this September, she got the rules changed and she wears trousers to, to school now. But I just feel like it shouldn't have to be on the onus on the pupils. And schools should get their act together and realise that they need to offer choice. And Georgia, you're a beacon and one of our, probably yes, our woman of the week. she's our woman well of done. the week. But uh, lots to talk about. And thank you, Cathy. Now, that was Roisin. Fascinating as always. 
Now, as the years go by, friends settle down, have babies, emigrate or just drift away. And while it's easy to make friends as a child or teenager, how do we develop new friendships in adulthood? Well, on today's podcast, we'll be exploring the complex world of female friendship. We talk to three women who at one stage or another have found themselves in new cities or new jobs, hoping to make new friends. American comedian and theatre owner Erin McGathy moved to Ireland on her own in 2016 after the breakdown of her marriage. London-based writer Laura Kennedy, who last year wrote about finding herself turning 30 without many friends. And to complete the panel, it's Irish Times columnist Hilary Fannin. She recently wrote about the loneliness women experience after their children grow up and move out. From online friendship apps to joining clubs or just making a little extra effort in the friendship department, here's how you might make new pals or make the most of the ones you have in 2020. So to kick off our conversation about friendship, we have Laura Kennedy on the line from London. And I know Laura is in a place where trains um, go by every so often. So if you hear one, that is the urban uh, sound of London you're going to hear. Laura, are you there? I am indeed. Uh, Laura, you wrote a a column about... um, having no friends and you thought it was just going to be one that would just sort of, yeah, you'd write the column and nothing would happen, but it had a huge reaction. So tell us about it and what happened next. Okay, well, you're my friend. So let's start with a caveat (laughs) by saying I didn't say I had none, Roshi. I said I had very few. Okay. Okay. We are friends. (laughs) Um, Yes. Well, so I wrote it uh, about a year ago after I had moved to London and I realised that I kind of had almost no friends anymore. Um, In part, I think, because, you know, uh, a lot of them emigrated from Dublin while I was still there. Um, A lot of them, as you do when you get to around 30, a lot of people kind of filtered off and started having babies and you don't see as much of them or you lose touch or whatever. And I moved to a new country and I was working for myself from home. And I kind of realized that I had become fully cut off from everybody. Um, And So I wrote the column thinking, you know, this is one of those ones that I'll write and then it will it'll just fade away, you know, like the majority of them do. Um, But it but it didn't. It it continues to haunt me. And now I have the reputation as being an adult woman with no friends. Thank you very much. Laura, no mates. (laughs) Pretty much. Well, that's your phrasing. Thank you. Well, I mean, it, it did have a huge reaction. I mean, Ryan Tuberty got you on his radio show and he started, I think, the interview by saying, Laura, why do you have no friends or something like that? Is that true? That is a direct quote from the interview and it follows that Ryan is not my friend, evidently. Um, and never will be. Is that is that what you're saying? I mean, I'll make that declarative statement now. Yes, uh, he is a he is an aggressive interviewer. Um, so, yeah, I had that interview because I think um, the reaction was strangely large to the column. And I'm very bad at predicting the ones that will kind of resonate with people. But that was that was definitely one because it turned out that a. Uh, I think most of us end up at that point at several sort of key junctures in our lives where people fall away or you move and you suddenly find yourself without a support network and without good friends. Um, And it's not that you never had them, but you find that you don't have them now. And it's a it's a strange, isolating situation and a real challenge then to remake them, because I think in your kind of teens and 20s, particularly if you are lucky enough to go to university or whatever, you're thrown in the path of people and you make friends by habitually ending up around them. And then you discover you have things in common. But if you're like me and you're self-employed and you work next to a train line in your office at home, (laughs) um, how do you meet people? How do you fix this problem when people are busy and they have lives, you know? 
Yeah. So how have you addressed it, Laura? Has, did, did it prove motivating, the fact that um, you were being called out as being friendless on national radio? Uh, did you go by busily making friends? Well, I did after a period of <laughs> crushing self-reflection. Um, yeah. So I just kind of thought, well, how do I fix this? So I tried a number of things, one of which hilariously uh, was Bumble BFF. And uh, we have one of those family accounts for uh, iTunes at home. Um, so when I download an app, my partner can see it. And he came in looking really heartbroken one afternoon. He's like, Laura, why have you downloaded Bumble? Which is, of course, a dating app. Um, so that was an awkward conversation. But Bumble has a BFF wing, which is essentially for women who want to meet other women to make friends. Um, but I discovered kind of what it must be like to be a man on a dating site, um, which is horrifying, frankly. <laughs> women have really high standards, Roisin. <laughs> unacceptably high. There were so many women who caveated their profile with things like no conversation, have to meet within a day or don't DM me. And I just thought, oh man, these women, I can't, I can't do this. Um, But in a way that's good, Laura, because you're weeding out the people that you definitely don't want to be friends with. I mean, who wants to be friends with someone who says things like that? There was a lot of that though. And then there was also kind of women who have really specific interests like bird watching and they just want someone to go bird watching with them. And I thought, I don't, I love people in my family and I don't even love them enough to go birdwatching with them, let alone Clarice, who I've never met before. Uh, So uh, the Bumble BFF thing didn't work out. But I kind of realized that actually, I think it's true of me and, and of a lot of people. There were loads of people, particularly women in my orbit who I liked and admired because maybe I worked with them or I knew them through, you know, a mutual, a mutual friend of the, you know, handful that I had back at home um, who I liked and kind of thought I, I, and often considered, I wish I was friends with that person, but I never told them. I never asked them to socialize. I never kind of asked them out as it were, you know, (laughs) declared my intentions and said, you, you have excellent hair. Let's go for tea. Um, And you mentioned tea there, Laura. Is that another issue? Because you drink a lot of tea and you don't drink any alcohol and you never have. Is that a bit of a barrier uh, for making friends? And I know your partner is the same as well, uh, into his tea and not into alcohol. Yeah, um, I think that's partially why we like each other. Um, (laughs) It's basically all that holds the relationship together. But uh, yes, I think definitely because... Is that the train, Laura? That's the train. I love it. It's brilliant. Go on. <laughs> Headed to Waterloo. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, alcohol is definitely a social lubricant, isn't it? And I mean, obviously it can be such a lubricant that everybody hates you because you're on the floor and you're a ho- you're horrifying company. And we've all either been that person or been around that person. But it's inhibition um, dropping and that can be really helpful because it's scary to, to approach people and kind of, you know, um, ask them to care about stuff you think or want to spend time with you or feel like you're worthy of their, you know, their their interest and their time. Um, so doing it sober kind of in the cold and unflattering light of day in which we all look about 10 years older um, is harder. But if you don't drink, that is how it has to be done, because otherwise you end up in pubs, you know, all the time having conversations that sort of have a a peak point at around maybe 10 and then everything goes a bit downhill from there. Um, Mm. So I I have friends and and, and love people, of course, who drink. Most people I know drink and not to excess, but it's good to have people around you if you don't drink whose social life um, doesn't orient around it because you need 
you need those people so that, you know, you can do things that are not just about pubs, essentially. Um, I'm just thinking back to the fateful night we met and when I knew we were going to be friends, I was with my other very good friend, <laughs> Ashling, both of our friends who's since sadly died a couple of years ago, which is very sad for both of us, I know. And uh, you were talking about um, your peer group's tendency towards shaving all the hair off their pubic area. And I know there was a woman here I could talk to and, and you ended up writing an article for me about that very thing, the lady gardens that were not being forested anymore and they're in fact being denuded. <laughs> is that the word? Um, anyway, that's our little friendship story. But have you got any more friends, Laura, now? I am concerned. <laughs> uh, yes, I have. I mean, I think it depends on what kind of person you are. I like the sort of um, deep friendships that really take a long time to build up. So I do have a best friend who I love who lives at home. Um, who I'm still very close with. But it's kind of the last year has been an exercise in starting that process with other people. It's not, of course, that I don't have more casual acquaintances. But, uh, you know, what I felt lacking in were the kind of friends who you would call if you accidentally killed someone and you needed someone to help you bury the body. You know, and that takes time. It takes a lot of time and investment. Um, (laughs) Would you do that for me? I would do it for you. I think. Uh, please, look, I would do it for you, but but the thing is, the night we met, I always I also remember that you had been because Ashling worked uh, within the beauty industry. She had given you a beautiful bag of products that oh, night, stop. and you left it in the taxi, and that was the first forgetting <laughs> I had witnessed. And you have forgotten every bag of everything and lost your phone about a million times. <laughs> well, at least I was showing you who I really was, and if you didn't want to be friends with such a loser, but clearly you were able to overcome that. Uh, idea. Laura, I'm really glad we started with you and I want to bring Hilary and Aaron in here now. Um, Oh, I also should say that uh, Laura just recently wrote an absolutely beautiful piece in the Sunday Times about her mother and about um, how their shared interest in beauty was such a lovely bond towards the end of uh, Laura's mother's life, um, which Nigella Lawson then went on to Twitter to say how much she absolutely loved it. So I feel like Nigella Lawson could be your friend. (laughs) What do you think? I I don't think I could... I, I think I would just emit a loud humming noise if she even came in the room where I was and I would I would unsettle her. She is majestic. She's a goddess. I, I don't think she drinks that much either. Um, she just likes to read and she likes tea as well. So I think you have a lot in common, to be honest. Oh, Roshi. <laughs> Look, let's make it happen. Anyway. She's on the list. Erin um, and Hillary. Erin first, you also sort of moved country because you came from America. So you must be, what, what Laura said there must have resonated about having oh, to build up yeah. a whole new... Tell us yeah. your story. <laughs> I mean, I, I I haven't met Laura and I don't know what she looks like, but I want to tell her that she has nice hair and I want to go for tea immediately. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I relate yes. so, so, so much to, to what you said, Laura. I moved from L.A. to Ireland three years ago and suddenly realized, oh, oh, no, <laughs> all those all those circles of friends that I relied on and like, as you're saying, deep friendships take a long time and you take for granted acquaintances and people that you just see and know and moving to a new city and just the feeling of no one no one knows me here no one I think I used to think all the time if I just no one literally no one knows where I am right now and if I if I died that would just kind of be the end I need to write my name on my notebook so they can look me up and call my dad uh but yeah I uh the first the first uh, year or so was was pretty lonely but also good for self-reflection and all that. So, Well, how did you overcome that? I mean, did you actively, like Laura's talking about, Did you, you didn't do the bumble thing. Maybe you'd 
So that's, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I did not do the Bumble thing, but I have a, a million questions that I want to ask Laura <laughs> off air about that experience. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, when I when I moved here, I was seeing someone right away. So I was heavily leaning on his friend group. Um, and they, they're all so lovely. We have kind of different interests. Um, and I, funnily enough, like <laughs> being asked on this podcast made me reflect a lot about my work and everything I'm doing here. And I realized that what I'm doing now, which is being the artistic director of a comedy theater and community, I think was really born out of my want for a community and friends, essentially. Like a year after being here, I did a, um, I did like a meditation course to figure out what it was I really wanted to do with my life and, uh, and work as a writer and comedian. And I realized that I'm at my happiness, just ha- my happiness. I'm at my happiness, <laughs> Cheryl. Just keep that. Uh, when I'm laughing backstage with a bunch of other comedians and artists. So um, I do improv comedy, which is like, is such a shortcut to immediate friendship. And it's, it's, it is like the, the alcohol lubricant where people are made vulnerable instantly and you get kind of get past uh, stuff because you're doing really silly <laughs> exercises and, and things and you make really close friends with people or seemingly close friends. I mean, it still takes time for those actual super deep friendships. But um, yeah, I, uh, my, my whole friend group now is all, is all from, from that and that experience. And so now if you died, people wouldn't wonder where you were. Is that, is that what you're saying? People know where I am today. That's great. <laughs> The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. And Hilary, you were um, nodding away at something Erin was mm. saying there. So what, what, you're, you're in a di- little bit of a different stage in terms of age yeah, and Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, I, I recently went to my 40-year school reunion and, I mean, unlike Laura, um, I... I think that's hysterical. I love the uh, and I love the train line going by. Um, yeah, no, I've I've kind of lived in London when I was in my thirties, early thirties. But I moved back when I when my first son was born, and I'm pretty much after a couple of years moved back to the area that I grew up in. Um, so I, you know, when I go to the supermarket, it takes me about three days to buy, you know, to buy a <laughs> buy a bag of carrots because I meet everybody that I've ever known in my entire life. You know, and my husband says to me, are you going to the supermarket? And I say, and he says, well, we'll eat next Wednesday. So, yeah. and I mean, it just goes on. Um, so when at my 40 year school reunion and also I grew up on um, on a peninsula, you know, um, there's a very, very thin line between uh, Hose and the rest of the world. And uh, so. Hoth kind of was the playground for me when I was a teen. That's where I learned to smoke and um, mm-hmm. drink and hang out with um, boys and Labradors, really. That was my kind of grown up <laughs> bit. And it doesn't change hugely, you know. So when I when we had our 40 year school reunion, it was in Hoth. It was in a barn that we'd all been kind of frequenting since we were about 17, really. And so it's funny because you have that kind of... Um, I don't know how to describe it. You have that kind of pincushion back story. You know, I know these women. I know their faces. I know their pasts. I know a lot of them. I know their families. I know where they live. I know about their marriages. I know about their children. And they kind of form a kind of tapestry behind me. But what I what resonated with me, Erin, was you talking about 
the improv group because I worked as an actor in the 80s mm. and early 90s. And for me, that was um, an incredibly joyous time for making friends because you got thrown into extremists. You know, you had... And for us, we were writing our own music and our own words and we were choreographing our own work and we were designing our own work and we were making the stage. We were doing everything because, you know, there was no money in the 80s. And, you know, so every every single aspect of production we evolved and made ourselves. And that formed incredibly close bonds, you know. And some of those relationships are very... um, You hold on tightly while you're with them and then you let go lightly and you move on to the next group. And there are some relationships that will travel right through your working life and and uh, your kind of collaborative experience. And some of those people are still with me today and others I just rem- have great kind of fondness. I, you know, I remember with great fondness. But to come back to the something intrinsic about holding on to relationships, that that has been very important to me. Holding on to the knowledge of people through decades, you know. And something that I was thinking about in relation to this podcast, and I think I've been very lucky to have had that continuity, you know. And I live with somebody who who doesn't have that, who came from another country and moved in with me when I insisted on coming home. And for him, you know, he doesn't have that continuity of friendship. And and I've watched him not having that and having to make different kinds of choices. Um, But I remember so well, my mother had three great mates. They were called Nula, Pat and Joyce. And she met them when she was four, six and 22, I think. And they used to cook for one another um, every four weeks and rotated these meals in each other's homes. And my whole childhood and early adulthood was punctuated by these women coming to the house, you know. And... They didn't sit around talking about nin patterns. They didn't drink, you know, sugary tea. They, they sometimes they did, Laura. But, um, <laughs> um, but I mean, um, basically, you know, there was, there was, there was, there was I think there's a lot of gin and and Lieb from Milch and Blue Nun, <laughs> yeah, Blue Nun, I do, and Black Tower, yeah, yeah the God. Black Tower bottles. We had so many lampshade bases made out of Black Tower bottles. It just wasn't fun. <laughs> Anyway, a hundred plus ideas for polyfill. It was my mother's idea of creativity. But anyway, the the point was that these women would come, you know, to the house all the time. And it was like a kind of backdrop, another backdrop, a kind of sense of the continuity of friendship. And I mean, man, they went through it. You know, there was those they they had a big lives, those Four suburban women had big, interesting lives, you know, scary parts of it, very, very bleak. And um, and when my mother was the last, was the one who survived, you know. So they died one at a time. They were like, it was kind of like a bowling ball. One gone, two gone, three gone. And at the end, her sense of loss was so profound, you know. And again, that's something that has stayed with me. I think friendship is the absolute thing that buttons me to the world, really. Mm. And one of the columns that you've written that got a similarly big response to Laura's was about loneliness. Mm. And actually, whenever we publish articles about loneliness, they're almost guaranteed to be hugely uh, mm. widely read, which I find really interesting now, particularly. <laughs> I, should have, I should send you some topics. Yeah. No, um, I didn't. I, I, it always kind of surprises yeah, yeah. me, to be honest. But. The fact is that even though we're so connected in so many ways and especially, you know, the younger generation and Aaron and Laura being much more um, 
out there on all these different platforms and what you do is, is documented so much and so in some ways we're kind of telling everybody everything about ourselves and you might think that that would lead to more intimacy but at the same time loneliness is something that people seem to be experiencing mm. um, which I suppose must be to do with not feeling that connection with friends. Hilary, why do you think it got such a response? Well, I think it's something that Laura mentioned um, a while ago which is that people go through different phases in their lives when things change and... Um, one of those times is probably when your children um, get older and or you know if you if you somebody who's had children who's been in who's had that kind of a life there is a there's a point maybe when you're in your 50s where you're no longer your routines are no longer the same you know you're no longer meeting women at the school gate you're no longer hanging out and going for walks and sharing pampers and stuff like that and it changes and you your role changes and i think I've seen with a number of friends a kind of um, unexpected loneliness creeping in, in and around kind of mid to late 50s at a point when their lives are no longer so um, circumscribed by other people's needs and maybe when they've let their own kind of needs fade somewhere into the kind of mulch of their own lives. Mm. Um, It's not something I experienced because I, I, I didn't go that deep into motherhood. I mean, I was around for my kids, but I was also doing lots of other things. But I'm certainly aware of, of that as a phenomenon among, among women of my age. Lots to look forward to there for... But listen, but the whole point <laughs> is, you know, that you get, there is so much, there actually is so much to look forward to. And I mean, you know, I said to my mate, I wrote about my mate, I asked her first if I could write about her and I didn't mention her name, obviously. But I mean, since then and since that conversation opened up, her life is changing because of decisions that she's making. You know, and you look at what's available to people. I mean, you know, God, man, from activism to guerrilla gardening, you know what I mean? There's a lot of ways. And I know that sounds very kind of, oh, darling, you know, kind of go and save the planet and it'll cheer you up. But I mean, like, there there are lots of ways of connecting and... In your 50s and 60s, you have a wealth of, you know, you've got wisdom, you've got information. And a lot of the times you have resources that you don't have when you're in your 20s and 30s. And I think um, especially female friendships and perhaps it's the same with male friendships as well. There's a certain and the one you talked about, Laura, your best friend, the feeling of they're all, it's almost like family. Would you feel that way about your best friend? Tell us about what you get from those, the ones that you do have, I know you don't have many, but what you get from those um, deep friendships that you have? Um, I think you're probably right. I mean, it, it is it is quite cliched and it's, it's a, I think it's a symptom of kind of the modern era when people have smaller families and, uh, you know, travel more and have more frenetic lives that you have a tendency to refer to friends as family or treat them that way. But um I think it, it just it, those relationships are characterized by a certain closeness. It's it's most social interaction is quite um, laborious in that it requires you to put a lot of energy in, often into um, shielding the other person from who you actually are, <laughs> you know, because you you need to give them the impression that you're professional or you know you're interested in the thing that they're talking about at the office party or whatever, because that's polite. Um, but but with those really close people, you can just, you know, tell them to shut up and you don't care about it. And, you know, <laughs> you can laugh about that together. And when something terrible happens to them, they call you and say, this terrible thing has happened to me. And they don't feel, you know, as though you're going to judge them or um, 
instantly start advising you on what to do. It's just it's they provide you with a space in which to kind of expand because we live this contracted existence and we're so buttoned up all of the time. Um, so I, I think everybody needs at least one of those. And the loneliest people are the people who do not have at least one of those relationships in their lives. And that's so difficult to, to not have that. What do you get from your best friend? What's she like? What is it that you love about her? She's just the complete opposite, really, of me. She is the most um, calm. <laughs> There's the train. <laughs> um, she's she's incredibly sanguine and kind and understanding. And she has this um, fascinating curiosity for everybody and everything, such that I've never seen anyone before who just, when they encounter someone who's taken a particular course of action or presents themselves in a particular way. She doesn't make a judgment. She wants to to know why they are that way um, or why they have made that choice. Not in, a, not in a probing or a demanding way, but in a sort of mild curiosity way. She's the kind of person to whom people would confess their crimes willingly. You know what I mean? Mm. She just kind of sits there quietly and they want to tell her things. <laughs> um, and she also just has a kind of a riotous interest in painting walls in sane colours and, um, you know, wearing strange clothing. And um, yeah, she, she's just an incredibly lovable person who has qualities I admire that I lack in myself. And I think that's quite important for friends. That's that's a lovely description. Erin's probably lining her up to rob her as a friend as well as we speak. Because <laughs> um, Erin has this particularly lime green eyeshadow, which I've been admiring there, which oh, I'd never okay. have the nerve to wear. Erin, um, <laughs> what about your best friend? Uh, my best friend actually just moved to London a month ago and is going through a similar thing that I went through three years ago. And my best friend's non-binary and her name is River. Their name is River. That's very embarrassing. It's hard, though. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure River would not mind that you did that by mistake. Would no, you? Would no, they? no, that, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, River is, is similar, I think, to Laura's best friend in that they are <laughs> the person that like at a at a at a bar you you won't be able to find River and then you'll see them sitting in the corner with a with a stranger who's who's crying and River's just <laughs> nodding listening away. Uh, yeah, River has has a like a, a deep love and compassion for people that I I also share, but I feel like mine is very interwoven with anxiety and uh, River is is more able to express themselves in a way that I would be that I find myself nervous to sometimes because I, I'm, I'm too afraid of getting getting hurt but uh, yeah River has this big sense of adventure and is also into a lot of things that I'm also into but embarrassed to talk about like crystals and spells <laughs> and uh, astrology and uh, River without me asking always does like my star chart and like we have, we have this understanding that like it embarrasses me to to talk about <laughs> like it, but uh, it, I, I was saying the before train the- again there <laughs> <laughs> sorry everybody I I'm, we're, we're loving the train Laura I think it makes us feel like we're in London living yeah. the life. <laughs> I know well, it won't infuriate the listeners at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was saying to Roisin before the podcast that uh, when I, I met River nine years ago, and which isn't the longest time for for a best friendship, and I felt very self conscious for the first few years of our friendship because I felt that we we had this really intense connection, and I felt embarrassed to say that they were my best friend, 
because it was so new and I thought that people would think that I was a flighty person or that I couldn't keep friends. Um, and River uh, famously at our, at our friend group called me out at a, at a bar once because I introduced them as, as my friend. And, and afterwards they said to me, like, you know, I introduce you as my best friend and we are best friends, right? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, no, we are. Yeah. <laughs> this is making me seem like a horrible friend. River is a much better friend than I am. Yeah, I think it's funny because both of you, Laura as well, have sort of said that the, what attracts them to, to those people that are the really close friends in their lives is that kind of, they're almost aspirational. They feel like mm. a better version of you or people that you'd like to be, which I'm sure are the other way around. If River was here talking about you or, or if your best friend was talking about you, Laura, there would be a similar way. So I think there's this beautiful mutual admiration thing. But I think the other thing about the people that we really want close to us is that we don't feel judged. That's that's certainly how I feel. Ultimately, I know that the people I want to spend time with and be with, it's like what you were saying, Laura, about just being able to be who you really are without anybody sort of making you feel bad for that because I think and maybe particularly women we go around a lot feeling bad about a lot of things um, and to have people in our lives other women who we know accept us completely warts and all and in fact not only accept us they love us for those foibles like the way you love me Laura because I lose everything all the time <laughs> um, you know I think that's a really for me a key bit of this glue that gets you stuck with somebody I think, controver- I mean, I don't know, I don't have a best friend, you know, and I don't think I've had a best friend since I was about, you know, six. And I'm not saying that in any kind of disparaging way, but um, I would find it very, very difficult to say, oh, she or he or they are my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are, I have, there are just people who populate my life who matter hugely to me. And, you know, not the same people all the time for everything either. You know what I mean? And I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about that kind of slightly um, flighty. I'm kind of flighty, man, you know. I mean? I, I'd be with you on uh, the flighty You know, thing. I am flighty. But yeah. like, I I think that, you know, but maybe we're just been disparaging about ourselves. Because in fact, it's a, it's a kind of an attention. You know, there are times when you are with somebody and you are just locked into something with them. And there can be all sorts of reasons. You know, it could be about a circumstance in your life that is unusual. It could be about health. It could be about work. It could be about, mm. you know, it could be, you know, about somebody who who helps you through a very difficult period of your life. And you move through, you know, you move through. It doesn't mean you're not friends anymore. Mm. You know, these people kind of touch touch something in your life and, and connect with you. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, I've talked about this on time, blue in the face, but I went to university for the first time in my life when I was 56, 57. And I went in and a friend of mine said to me, don't become people's mother. You know what I mean? Don't become people's mother. Don't end up with a load of 20-somethings, you know, that you're <laughs> making lasagna for and saying, don't worry, darling, you'll get over it, you know. And she said, you don't need it. You're totally wrecked. You're really tired. Write your bleeding book and don't feed people, you know. And uh, what do I do? What did I end up you doing? You became the mother. Yeah, I became mother. And there's people sitting around, the, you know, the, eating lasagna and I'm Smoking thinking, joints. Joints, you know. Hillary's <laughs> um, so cool. She's like a cool mother. She's the cool mother I've ever had. It was really funny one day. But I just want to know, to qualify, I, I really love liked the people I yeah. met you know I just end up I'm going like oh man this is brilliant got loads of people oh, I love this, I love this. <laughs> and then one day you know we had to hand in this essay at noon you know so we handed in the essay and um and then somebody said geez well uh, what bar will we go to and I said oh my goodness it's only 12 o'clock I know where we can go the baguette so we end up mm-hmm. the baguette right and I'm sitting there and I'm drinking wine and I went out and bought a pack of cigarettes 
And event at about three o'clock, I thought, I'm really not feeling okay. I need to go home and lie down. So I, I left quietly, <laughs> went home, got into the kitchen. And my son, who's 20, was 22 at the time, said to me, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, man, I'm wrecked. I need to go to bed. You know, I've been out with all these friends and, you know, drinking. And I bought a pack of cigarettes and do you want them? And, you know, and he said, Jesus, go back. Get back on the train. Go back in, man. This is, you know... This is great. You know, you're making friends. You're not going to have... This is your student life. You know, just go back in there and be part of it. Did you go back? No, I went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. I was too old. I went to bed. But But I loved his his attitude. No, but his attitude was... And also, you know, this thing of like, sometimes you think, you know, well, I only have one life. You know, in truth, I really seriously like... I I know that it's like now or never. That's got nothing to do with friendship, has it? It has everything to do with friendship. The, oh, I felt so open to knowing about these people and being curious about their experience, and it was so enriching. Mm. It is so enriching. I made a really s- sweet friend who's in her 30s, and we see each other now, and we go for coffee, and we feed ducks together, and we hang out. And mm-hmm. she wasn't part of my life three years ago, and she means so much to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I really, re- I really agree with that, and it m- makes sense to me in that different times in your life you come across different people and I don't think you should close any doors like I have one friend who says I've enough friends the doors are closed I don't want any applications <laughs> coming in but I've, I'm just not like that I don't think I ever would will be I again I have a friend that I you know, three years ago I met her and we are she's such an important part of my life I mean three years isn't as long as nine years with you in River but I can't imagine my life without her now and I know there'll be other people like that and I don't want to ever close the door on that because mm. exactly as you said Hilary things go on with us that sometimes a different person person steps in and is the, yeah. is the one that helps you through a certain stage and you don't yeah. even know it and you don't realise it's actually happening or why it's happening but looking back you can see oh I see why I perhaps moved away from that circle towards this and mm. yeah. um, I would I sometimes worry that I'm a fair weather friend but I, don't, I hope I hope it's not that I hope I'm just maybe more in tune to what I need and I also yeah. don't mind if people move away from me either mm. and I, I can see that kind of choreography almost that, yeah. that people have mm-hmm. to go through in their lives um, which I again I had a best friend in school and if she's listening to this she'd probably kill me if I said she wasn't my best friend now but <laughs> I don't want to put that on anybody because I don't I feel that's a bit of a responsibility and a pressure I don't think that, that monogamy is yeah. it, it's exactly. a kind of friendship monogamy yes. that I for me you know I'm, Feels a bit I'm no I'm a friendship yeah. tart really I, I, can't, I don't do I don't do monogamy in the friendship friendship slag yeah I'm friendship slag yeah that's me slapper I'm Slap just going to think of all the words yeah trollop <laughs> I love Trollope. Um, uh, so, yeah, well, I read an article about friendship, um, which I'll read. Uh, just some tips for you, Laura, Aaron, anyone else who feels like they, they need some help. Um, <laughs> friendship tips from Linda Blair. Build your self-confidence. Liking yourself before you go off in search of friends is an important step to building healthy relationships. Find something you feel passionate about. Join a language class if you love languages or volunteer outdoors if you love nature. That's where you'll find people who have, you know, similar interests. Uh, put yourself out there. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Like you with your Bumble... Uh, BFF fair play to you <laughs> it isn't that you lose if you meet someone and it doesn't fit for a friendship that's not losing having tried so there's no harm in trying uh, and once you have sort of put yourself out there um, meeting outside in, a, in the initial environment where you made the connection don't choose to meet outside that maybe place where you met and meet in a more neutral public space which can lessen the pressure so don't necessarily bring them around your table for lasagna which <laughs> too late for you Hilary <laughs> <Too late. laughs> you just went for that um, has anybody got any final words on this very I think this is a, a really fascinating subject because as women 
these things ebby and flow throughout our lives and we don't know what's around the corner and they're lifelines for us a lot of the times and those people that Laura said you can ring up and say something terrible has happened and you can, there's someone who's just going to listen and you're not going to have to do the whole background or any small talk around it. Such a relief to have those conversations. Absolutely. Well, I, I'd like to say, and I'm not just saying this to plug Mob Theatre Dublin, which is my comedy theatre in school, but uh, improv and like our in our in our community, there are writers and actors and all sorts of people and also the audience members that come every week. And it's it's such a nice way to meet people. And I wouldn't have all the friendships that I have here without it. And it was the same way that I made friends when I moved to L.A. for the first time. And I was there for 10 years. And all of my friends I made through improv and theater and all, all that stuff. But because we were all at the, at the theater all the time performing and chatting and stuff. So if you're... In Ireland, I, do, I highly recommend, uh, if it's not mob, uh, doing an improv sort of thing or a writing class. Well, that's something we should do on the podcast, actually, to get yeah. some women to try it out and see how, how they get on. The other thing we absolutely that... need more women as okay. well in our writing Great. class. Well, there's a good thing to say about you as well, Erin, is you experienced a marriage breakup just before you mm-hmm. moved to Ireland. And that must be a difficult one where you're no. kind of friends, no friends, different... <laughs> no, no, I'm no, joking, sorry. No, no, no I mean horrific. about the, from the friendship <laughs> yes, side of things. Yes, so you have yeah. friends who are both your friends and then mm-hmm. suddenly you're not together. Was that a tricky one to do? Very tricky. I mean, what, what was more... What was more difficult uh, and what I didn't expect was losing friendships with people who were just married and suddenly felt uncomfortable being my friend as if I was cursed or something, probably because they're insecure in their own marriages. Uh, so that was that was very hard because they they were very pained <laughs> watching us break up and uh, it made them feel very uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I, lo- I mean, I lost friendships, but also I'm not missing them, <laughs> you know, uh, because obviously we, I don't know, well, no, I do, I do miss them. That's, that's not true, but um, it's okay, you know, and I'm not, I'm not resentful, even though that sounds like I am. But the, uh, the, <laughs> the great thing about uh, the divorce is that because I felt like I had disappointed so many people in my life, I really then just made decisions for myself and it propelled me to move to another country, uh, which is something that I always wanted to do but was afraid to do because I was like, oh, everyone's going to think that I've lost my mind and that I'm running away from something. But it really was running towards myself and I still have wonderful friends in Los Angeles and I go back several times a year for weddings and all that. That's a beautiful uh, image of you running towards yourself. I'm yeah. picturing this meadow and then the other Aaron at the other side and you're running through them. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, Laura, any final thoughts on friendship from you about what um, you're going to do? Has this motivated you even more? Are you about to get back on Bumble BFF? I don't, th- I mean, I'm not sure Bumble BFF is for me, but one thing that <laughs> occurred um, while Hillary was speaking earlier was just that, which was actually quite comforting, even though it seems like it isn't, is the idea that you do have these periods at different points in your life when different things happen, um, where your support network sort of expands and contracts. Um, you know, that idea that it, it, it just is a natural thing that happens to everybody. Because I think if you, at those times when you find yourself alone, you can, it can lead you to kind of question, well, you know, do I have do I have something to offer, you know, to offer friends? Is it me? Is there something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. These are all really natural things that you think when you find, oh, gosh, I, I don't have anyone who seems to want to spend time with me. Um, but it, it comes back and it, and it ebbs away again. And it's just it's not, a, a you know, a, an inherent fault within individuals. It's just 
life and you navigate it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have made some friends this year, which is nice. I mean, they're English, but we'll forgive that. Um, <laughs> you can't have everything. <laughs> My mother is English before anyone starts writing in to give out to me. Mine too. Hush, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, and also actually just listening, I want to mention uh, the fact that we also, I'm sure, around the table and Laura have a lot of male friends too mm-hmm. because a lot of the time we think about friendships where women, that they all have to be women. But I have some absolutely brilliant friends who are men um, who I get different perspectives from but also I just love their company and, you know, that's something else. This idea that you can't have platonic mm-hmm. friends with men like that still, I see still being perpetuated out there. Yeah. Uh, it's not true. Anyway, final thoughts from you, Hilary? Uh, it, w- we're imperfect and our friendships are imperfect and uh, I, I, it scares me a kind of um, a kind of sense of people looking for perfection in their lives and especially in their friendships and I mean I, I think it's just a, it's just a lovely thing to be kind of broken and half fixed by friendship um, that's it mm, that's know? a nice way to end listen I want to thank you all I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think it's one of those subjects that has goes off in so many different areas mm. so Erin McGathy Hilary Fannin and Laura Kennedy and your train there rumbling by um, thank yeah. you very much I think we're all friends here really aren't yeah, we totally. <laughs> bye Laura <laughs> bye thank you and that's it for today thanks to our guests Laura Kennedy Hilary Fannin and Erin McGathy remember you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we are on Spotify Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.